Adam's Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to the Adam's Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening today. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the recent indictment of Donald Trump. The former president of the United States has now been indicted over the January 6th insurrection. So we'll look at those charges, who the judge is, which happens to be an Obama-appointed judge who has a history of going after people and giving longer sentences that are related to January 6th. So we'll discuss that. Then we will look at Trump's response to all of this. Moving after that, we'll look at his some of the videos that he put out, which is pretty hilarious of him and Ron DeSantis that is going on this smear campaign. And then we'll move over into the Devin Archer interview that was conducted by Tucker Carlson, following up on that conversation. And after that, there was a Wisconsin preacher, a young man who was arrested after preaching the Lord's word at a drag event on this sidewalk. So pretty infuriating when you watch this video. I, I, I remember seeing this stuff in Canada and I never would have thought it would have come to the United States. You know, we, we always talk about the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion and all of these things that, that we supposedly have written down on documents that should not be imposed upon. And here we are. Next up, we'll get into some little fun fun and disgusting pop culture with Lizzo getting sued for sexual harassment by several of her former dancers and then also some sexual accusations made to her involving bananas. <laughs> so I'm sorry to do that to your ears. After that, we'll also get into the recent hearing in or recent judgment in Canada regarding Meta, Facebook, and Instagram no longer allowing for news to be posted in Canada, which happens to come on the same day as Justin Trudeau and his wife separating after 18 years of marriage, and that leading us into a conversation about Justin Trudeau, his family history, and whether or not he actually happens to be the son of once dictator Fidel Castro. Hmm. And there's actually some, you know, there's a striking resemblance, which is one thing. There's some videos by Joe Rogan where they talk about it, but it's one thing for the resemblance. It's another thing with all of the corroborated evidence that we will go through. So stick around for that. The longer you're here, the deeper we get. All right. First thing I need to do is head over to the Substack, austinadams.substack.com. Go ahead and sign up for the Substack companion for the podcast. All of the clips, articles, links, everything will be on there that we discussed today. Then you will also check out the original Substack that I put from the last episode about the silent weapons for quiet wars, which we will be having the part two come out on Friday early morning, I believe, or Saturday for you. So make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. You follow me on YouTube because you can actually walk through the documents with me. You'll be able to see what I'm looking at on this episode today as well. And leave a five-star review, guys. I can't stress that enough. It is the single way that you can give back to me for all of the time, effort, and energy that goes into this. It is now... 10.30 at night, I just put my kids to bed, putting together this episode for you. So I hope you appreciate it. And what you can do to show that appreciation is just by going and pressing a button. And I, I ask you every episode, and it truly means a lot to me just to be having these conversations and that you're listening. But the next step is just kind of giving back by pressing that little tiny button. That's all you have to do for me. 
And then every time that you hear this, when you listen to the episodes next week and moving forward, you'll always just know that you already did it. You'll feel good inside. It's a little bit of good karma for you. So head over, leave a five-star review, join the Substack, austinadams.substack.com, and let's jump into it. The Adams Archive. All right. Episode number 80, I believe. Pretty wild that we've been here together for 80 episodes from the Red Pill Revolution podcast now to the Adams Archive. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. So 80 episodes, kind of a landmark, and can't can't wait to keep this going and, and getting up to 100. So on the very first article of today's episode, we're going to be discussing President Donald Trump has been indicted for his involvement in the conspiracy of January 6th. Now, if I've, I've actually done several deep dives into this conversation. I did a deep dive into the CIA's responsibility and who Ray Epps was. So we'll get into maybe some of that conversation today. But let's jump into what this indictment looks like. And then I'll give my opinion on it and what I think is actually going on, because I think it's pretty cut and dry. I think we know that by now. One thing that I did see DC Drano point out was that the type of indictment that we have here, the charges that we have, Maybe I can pull up the tweet to get the specifics, but it does not allow them to disqualify him from running for president as a result of these these indictments. So that was a, a big distinction here that that was very relieving to see was that the indictments that we have here are fluff. They're nothing that's not going to stop him from running for the presidential candidacy in 2024 against Joe Biden and hopefully not against Joe Biden, hopefully against Robert F. Kennedy Jr. if I it was a perfect world. and. Uh, you know, I've already given my thoughts on that in some of the past episodes, but Trump has been indicted for obviously political, additional political weaponization of our Department of Justice. And you've probably heard that over and over and over again, because this is the fourth indictment that has been going on during the last, I don't know, three to four months of, of Donald Trump. Meanwhile, and, and we again, we talked about this last last uh, at some point, but it's so crazy to me that a single time in history, we have both the current president and the last president being indicted on federal charges of corruption, conspiracy. I don't know if there's ever been another period of time where that's been happening. And it just shows you, it just, it just clues you into what I've talked about all along, which is that the government is just a mafia of slick-haired mafiosos who are there to siphon money out of a pool of your taxes in any which way that they can for their own profitability, right? Everybody throws money, throws money into a big pile in the middle of, of the room. And all these politicians are looking to do is siphon money from that in, in through different deals that they're doing with, you know, maybe Ukrainian energy companies and maybe Chinese bio labs and eventually their goal is just to see what what they can pull out of your tax money by sending a bunch of money to a Ukraine bio lab and then having that same company pay them off to come speak at some event with 12 people at it for 40 million dollars later right it's it's just so crazy to see how, how much of a comparison there is between our government even 
taking those taxes from people the same way that the Mexican drug cartels go to business owners and say, hey, if you don't give us 25% of your profits, we're going to maliciously and violently shut you down, which is what they do with taxes. They tell you that if you don't pay us taxes, we're going to throw you in jail and throw away the key. It's like maybe likely not. But if you're Wesley Snipes, they might make an example of you, right? So it's pretty crazy to see how we actually have two simultaneous presidents, the sitting president and the previous president, both being charged with criminal criminal offenses simultaneously, which is wild. So here's the article. This is coming from Atlas News, one of my favorite, most trusted news sources, which covers news around the world. Not sponsored or anything by them, but just really like the work that they do. It's a lot of like wartime news. So they're they're covering the current coup d'etat in Niger. There's some fine lines that you have to walk in that. <laughs> so I saw a response to Atlas News where somebody commented back to them regarding the coup d'etat in, in Niger. And they said, one, one letter away from getting banned by Instagram. <laughs> with like a sweating emoji and the response from atlas news was like i can't tell you how many times i proofread this article <laughs> all right this article says donald trump indicted on electoral interference and conspiracy charges former united states president donald trump has been federally indicted on charges in relation to his alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Charges include, so it breaks down all four charges for you, conspiracy to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defend the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government. So let's break down each one of these charges. Conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding did knowingly combine conspire confederate and agree with co-conspirators known and unknown to the grand jury to corruptly obstruct and impede an official proceeding that is the certification of the electoral vote and then obstruction of an official proceeding attempted to and did corruptly obstruct and impede an official proceeding that is the certification of the electoral vote like this so vague attempted to corruptly obstruct and impede an official proceeding like what are you even talking about what does that even mean and the last one being conspiracy against rights did knowingly combine conspire confederate and agree to co-conspirators known and unknown to the grand jury to injure oppress threaten and intimidate one or more persons in the free exercise and enjoyment of the, a right and privilege secured to them by the Constitution and laws in violation of Title 18, the United States Code, Section 241 of the United States, that is the right to vote and to have one's vote counted. Which is funny because none of this actually came to fruition. They say that, oh, he did impede and interfere with this. It's like, no, what did he specifically do? Right? He called for a protest. If anything, you should be charging the FBI with conspiracy to have election interference, you know, maybe for what they did against Hunter Biden's laptop by going to all the tech companies preemptively and telling them not to run the story or to actively stifle free speech. Maybe it's for implanting people like Ray Epps to go out there and say, let's go into the Capitol, into the Capitol. Maybe one of the many, many things that we've seen, including the FBI, you know, weaponizing itself against the 
documents at Mar-a-Lago against, I mean, all of these things add up over time. And, but, but, you know, let's go after the one guy who's running for president in, in against the person that we installed as the president of the United States in this banana Republic. I can't help but think of the, the brand banana Republic when I, when I say that, but it is so true, right? It's like, what is even the definition of banana Republic? We hear it, you know, being utilized in this sense over and over again. Right. And it's like you kind of get the sense of it. But the Banana Republic is <laughs> the first thing that comes up is actually the brand. Right. Of course. But let's see what the, the actual definition of a Banana Republic is for you. Right. It's like an installed government that a third world country that weaponizes itself against people. But a Banana Republic is a politically and economically unstable country that with an econ economy dependent solely on the export of natural resources. The term originated in 1904 to describe Honduras and Costa Rica under economic exploitation by U.S. corporations such as the United Fruit Company. Typically, a Banana Republic has a society of extremely stratified social classes, usually a large impoverished working class and a ruling class plutocracy composed of the business, political, and military elites. Such exploitation is enabled by collusion between the state and favored economic monopolies, in which the profit derived from the private exploitation of public lands is private property, while the debts incurred, therefore, are the financial responsibility of the public treasury. So there you go. That is the actual definition. It has nothing to do with tight skinny jeans, <laughs> in case you were curious. All right. Now, it says that there was six co-conspirators, but it does not name them. But it says that they are an attorney who is willing to spread knowingly false claims and pursue strategies that the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign attorneys would not. Hmm. Is that one Rudy Giuliani? Co-conspirator two, an attorney who devised and attempted to implement a strategy to leverage the vice president's ceremonial role overseeing certification proceedings to obstruct the certification of the presidential election. Co-conspirator three, an attorney whose unfounded claims of election fraud the defendant publicly acknowledged to others sounded crazy. Nonetheless, the defendant embraced and publicly amplified co-conspirator three's disinformation. Co-conspirator four is a Justice Department official who worked on civil matters who, with the defendant, attempted to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations. Oh, could you imagine? And influence state legislators with knowingly false claims of election fraud. And then number five is an attorney who assisted in devising and attempting to implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to or obstruct the certification proceedings. And then the last one being a political consultant who helped implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceedings. So there you go. Those are the charges and those are the co-conspirators. I guess we will find out who they actually are here in the following weeks. But like I said, we all know that the FBI was the one who actually caused this insurrection, even if you want to call it that. We know it wasn't that from the footage that we saw, right? We know it was more of a glorified museum tour. As you see the police walking through the hallways with them and letting them through the doors. As you see them politely speaking with authorities as they're walking through, you know, walking through the building. It's pretty wild to see how much they can make it. And I think this was their plan all along. I think this was absolutely the plan of the FBI to inst in to plant the seed of this insurrection back all the way in 2020 and to cause them to have the ability to go after Donald Trump four years later so he cannot rerun. Now, obviously, as we talked about, I don't believe that's the case with these charges. And we'll see. Maybe I can get up. DC Drano's 
post about this, and I believe it was on Twitter, so maybe I can pull it up and, and see that the differentiation, or X, I guess they call it now. But let's see if we can pull it up. It says... Pence implicitly admits. So that's something we should look at too is Mike Pence, what Mike Pence actually said, which was like the craziest, most stupid thing in America. Pretty wild, but let's see if we can find this first. So DC Drano said. <clears throat> wow, he tweets a lot. This isn't a swing and a miss. Friendly reminder that Adam Schiff is one of 25 congressmen in U.S. History to, or history to be censored. Let's see. The feds and Jack now know Trump is going to win in the landslide. The proof is in the polls. That came from Trump's nephew is the Twitter account. I am not seeing it here. Hmm. Maybe it was on Instagram, but I do recall him posting something. Oh, here we go. Okay. So it says President Trump has been indicted on four federal counts, conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy. Let's go ahead and pull this actually up for you guys. Conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, conspiracy against rights. It is very important to note that he was not charged with seditious conspiracy or insurrection. Those two charges, if convicted by a leftist D.C. jury, would prohibit him from running in 2024, D.C. Drino said. These charges are desperate acts from a desperate regime trying to do everything they can to stop a man that will hold them accountable in 2025. Agreed, right? So good to know that that's actually not going to stop him from running. And it just continues the narrative that they're weaponizing the actual federal government. So let's see Donald Trump's responses to this. And he's posted lots and lots of videos about this. But let's read his actual, let's read Donald Trump's response to this indictment. It says, this is nothing more than the latest corrupt charter or chapter in the continued pathetic attempt by the Biden crime family and their weaponized Department of Justice to interfere with the 2024 election, in which President Trump is the undisputed frontrunner and leading by substantial margins. But why did they wait two and a half years to bring these fake charges right in the middle of President Trump's winning campaign for 2024? Why was it announced the day after the big crooked Joe Biden scandal broke out from the halls of Congress? The answer is election interference, Donald Trump says. The lawlessness of these persecutions of President Trump and his supporters is reminiscent of Nazi Germany in the 1930s, the former Soviet Union, and other authoritarian dictator or dictatorial, <laughs> dictatorial regimes. President Trump has always followed the law and the Constitution, but with advice from many highly accomplished attorneys, these un-American witch hunts will fail and President Trump will be reelected to the White House so he can save our country from the abuse, incompetence, and corruption that is running through the veins of our country at levels never seen before. Three years ago, we had strong borders, energy, independence, no inflation, and a great economy. Today, we have a nation in decline. President Trump will not be deterred by disgraceful and unprecedented political targeting. All right, and Donald Trump said from his account, also, why are they putting out another fake indictment the day after Crooked Joe Biden scandal, one of the biggest in American history, broke out in the, in the halls of Congress? 
a nationwide decline. Interesting. Another tweet that or truth that came from him was I hear that deranged Jack Smith, in order to interfere with the presidential election of 2024, will be putting out a yet, a yet another fake indictment of your favorite president, me, at 5 p.m. Why didn't they do this two and a half years ago? Why did they wait so long? Because they wanted to put it right in the middle of my campaign, prosecutorial misconduct. Interesting. All right. So then he goes on. Let's see if there's any other tweets here. So he has some videos that we can watch, but I don't know the value of those other than what we've already discussed here. But he did post some funny things about Ron DeSantis. And here he says... Thank you to everyone. I have never had so much support on anything before. This unprecedented indictment of a former highly successful president, he says, and the leading candidate by far in both the Republican Party and the 2024 general election, has awoken the world to the corruption, scandal, and failure that has taken place in the United States for the past three years. America is a nation in decline, but we will make it great again, greater than ever before. I love you all. And... Just video after video that he posted. Here's a, let's see if there's anything to this one. 10 minutes of Democrats denying election results. That's, That's a real what I'm thing. scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election. And he was put in the office. This is Jimmy Carter. Russians Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. Hmm. So just 10 minutes of Democrats denying election results. And now they're indicting him for, you know, whatever it is, words he said that they're saying should go to jail for, right? Over and over and over again, we see them trying these things. And over and over and over again, we see them fail. And it's more about the, because when you can get a headline, the headline is 80% of the 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 purpose. Like it's like 80% of the value is in just putting that subconscious framework out there for you, right? There's something called neuro-linguistic programming. And when you can put something in front of somebody over and over and over and over again, eventually people start to believe you, whether it's about the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, whether it's about election interference, whether it's about an insurrection, 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 right? It doesn't matter whether what you're saying is truth or not. It matters more so that you say it over and over again consistently enough to where it drops into the subconscious of the human psyche. So when they're putting these headlines out there and they're doing these fake bullshit indictments that are going to go absolutely nowhere, the purpose isn't for him to go to jail in any of these cases. Donald Trump will not go to jail. But what will happen and what they know will happen is that by putting out these headlines and having this negativity surrounding his campaign, there's going to be a subconscious reaction from the general public, even if there's no merit to it, right? If you just say, you know, the sky's green, the sky's green, the sky's green, the sky's green over and over and over and over and over and over again, the children, when they're in the 10th grade, eventually they might look up and see a hue of blue that they start to vividly look at as green. So it's it's not as much about what happens as it is about the headline itself, 
He was on Sean Hannity recently. The, lots and lots of different discussions that he posted from True Social. But I will save you. You can head over to his True Social account and check those out yourself. Now, in the midst of all of this, Donald Trump indictments, the day before, Devin Archer. So I just wonder if they have like a portfolio of bullshit that they're just sitting on, which, you know, if you watched uh, like the House of Cards, they kind of alluded to that. Right, they have like a black file on everybody that no matter what happens, they can just push out some sort of negative campaign surrounding an individual at any given time. And and it just makes you wonder whether or not they've been sitting on this for something like the Devin Archer situation to come out. While simultaneously, while a business partner of Hunter Biden comes out to a select committee hearing and just tells them everything, tells them the, the inappropriate conversations that he had with business people in, in Ukraine and China comes out and you know talks about where the money came from that they were getting all of that simultaneously you just so happen to have the next day that this comes out you happen to have the president or former president of the United States get indicted so he went on to Devin Archer being the former president former business associate of Hunter Biden from Rosemont Seneca who also sat on the board of the Ukrainian biotech company and energy company Burisma came out and spoke out against him. Now, the reason that Devin Archer did this was because a lot of people have kind of concluded was because there's a text message that Marjorie Taylor Greene came out with in a tweet recently, like yesterday or the day before, that showed that there was a feud back and forth between Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. And what a stupid combination of names between Archer and Hunter. But anyways... The fact that they, the, what, what was happening was Devin Archer had the Department of Justice allegedly weaponized against him to throw him in jail. He was, I believe, convicted and sentenced to a year in jail as a result, which he still has not served. So my hypothesis is, which he was claiming that directly to Hunter, that it was Hunter's fault and his association with his family that was the result of him having to get this one-year sentencing for whatever associations that he had as a result of that. So... There's a, a thought here that the reason that Devin Archer is going to the select committee hearings and, and, and doing all of this was because he was either mad or getting some sort of deal surrounding his sentencing. So here is the article from the Post Millennial talking about Devin Archer admitting to Tucker Carlson on the phone or Devin Archer admits to Tucker Carlson the phone calls from Joe Biden were an absolute abuse of power. And here is the article. It says, in the new episode of Tucker on Twitter, Tucker Carlson sat down with former Hunter Biden's business partner, Devin Archer, to discuss the Biden family's corrupt overseas business dealings. Archer, who testified before Congress on Monday in a closed-door meeting, told Carlson of the more than 20 phone calls during business meetings that Hunter Biden would put his father on speakerphone. And it was an absolute abuse of soft power. And here is some of the interview that we will look at and listen to together. If it, you know, plays quickly enough for you. But we'll read the article while it's loading. It says, the power to have that access and that conversation. It's not in a scheduled conference call and it's part of your family. That's like the pinnacle of power in D.C., Archer said. Archer said he could definitely say that at these business meetings where Biden was put on the phone, he knew there were business associates. I don't know if it was an orchestrated call in or not. 
It certainly was powerful, though, because, you know, if you're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the vice president's voice, that's prized enough. I mean, that's pretty impactful stuff for anybody. When asked what Hunter Biden brought to the table in skills, Archer said at the end of the day, he, you know, he had a career in Washington. He graduated from Yale Law School and had a very big network in D.C. and brought that know-how and understanding of D.C. and ultimately the Biden brand. That Biden brand bullshit drives me nuts. There's absolutely no, there's no brand behind a vice president. It's not a brand. It's, it's, it's an assumption of power. It's an assumption that if I give you this thing, you will give me whatever it is that I want back, right? You will, you will, in, in the case of the bio or of the energy company Burisma, what they wanted was to leverage Joe Biden and they did it successfully, allegedly, to stop the prosecution of their company in so Ukraine. You uh, so it's not a brand. There's no brand behind Joe Biden. The only brand he has is falling asleep while he's talking, not being able to finish a sentence, and also sniffing small children, right? So so here's the video. Let's go ahead and watch it and see what they had in their conversation. Hunter Biden in a bunch of different businesses. What were the skill, the specific skills that he brought to clients? Well, at the end of the day, he you know he had a career in Washington. Yeah, uh, graduated Yale Law School and had a very big network in in D.C. and brought that know-how and understanding of D.C. and ultimately the Biden brand. The know-how. So as far as I could tell, he wasn't doing legal work. I Correct. Mean, he wasn't in the counsel's office at Burisma, right? No, no. So the the network and the Biden brand sounds like the the kind of key component of Absolutely, what yeah. he was bringing. Yep. Do you think that he would have been in those businesses, not having a business background without his father being in a government position? It's hard to speculate in, in those regards. I mean, yeah. I think when we initially met and, uh, and he talked about his advisory business, his business that needed to transition from lobbying to advisory and the interest in private equity, it seemed... You know, it seems like a new and interesting network for us to expand our business. Whether he could have, you know, been in that position, it's it's hard for me to speculate. Right. But obviously, the brand of Biden, you know, adds a lot of power when your dad's the vice president. For sure. And there was a time, maybe ten years ago, when private equity, maybe like AI now, was just one of those terms people were throwing out. I'm in private equity. <laughs> right. But the mechanics, having done it, coming right. from a business background yourself, are kind of complex. Are Absolutely. They not? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a complex business. It takes years of training. But again, the initial idea around the business, they were going to provide, you know, the government insight and an additional network to raise capital and then, you know, deal with regulatory issues that you might have at the corporate level. Right. Regulatory issues. Exactly. Okay. So that would be more his area. Right. That would be his space. Right. But did he have a, a sophisticated understanding of regulation, do you think? Um, I think that he led a team that had had a had a sophisticated. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> because I lived in Washington a long time around a lot of regulation. Also, a very complex area. Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's you know you got to be an expert in knowing the guy, and he was the guy that was the expert in knowing the guy. He was an expert in knowing the guy. Right. And who was the guy he knew? Well, he knew a lot of Joe people, Biden. but obviously yeah. there was some familiar, you know, some his brother, his father. Yeah. Uh, some of his, his father's siblings. So he, he knew a lot of people. And, and obviously, I know you're pointing to, you know, the father being the key relationship. That's well, great. no, I, I'm just trying to get a sense of like, Washington's not a money town. Right. You know, people don't aren't in business in Washington for the right. most part. And most people don't have business skills that I noticed in 30 years of living there. So really, the business of Washington is 
is selling access. That's what it looked like to me. Yes. Not just Hunter Biden, but like. Yeah, no, that's I think that's. Do. I mean, I think that's the one of the like core misconceptions. I mean, it seems like when I, you know, understanding a regulatory environment means selling access at the end of the day. That, yeah. That's how I interpret it, and I think that's how most people on, you know, in Wall Street, whether they admit it or not, interpret it. Yeah. So we're gonna. We've got a complex business that intersects with government. We need a guy who knows it. Right. How do I, you know, deal with getting a guy a visa that needs to come over for a business deal? Right. Call our lobbyist that knows the guy in DHS or used to work in DHS or, you know, in Customs and Border Patrol or the people at the embassy and state. They, they might be able to help. So there are very like tactical elements that are regulatory and compliance and governance that you have to go through, and you got to know the guy that right. worked at the old agency that now has the lobbying firm that can go back to the agency and you know, get, get things put to the front of the line. So the reason I'm asking this is because, it's not to give the Bidens a pass, right. hardly, but when people say, well, there's some question about whether Hunter was trading on his father's name, if you live in Washington, like that's the whole city right there. Right, I think you you know the answer to that. At the end of the day, right. so he had the best advantage to do that because of where he was. And, you know, we thought that when we went into business, this was a great opportunity for us. So. I get it. And you're not the only one who did that. Right. There were a lot of, lot of. Well, and what's crazy too, is it's like, it's not selling access. It's selling influence. It's it's if, if you're the guy who can call the guy and get the guy to get a visa and skirt around what would normally be the proper channels of communication and steps to take to have something accomplished. But you know, you can call somebody to have something done that is not normally allowed if that person that you're calling to have something done with is the president or the vice president of the United States and happens to be your father, there, there should be some level of removed access from the children being able to peddle their father's influence as the vice president or president of the United States. It's right. It's like it's not selling a brand. It's not selling it's not selling access. It's selling decision making and influencing the very decision-making of the person who was put into office by the the general public, right? It's, 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 it has nothing to do with access. It has everything to do with decision-making. So when you have a vice president of the United States, they're, and they're not even levy, levying their own power. They're levying the power of the United States that was bestowed upon them by the public, by you and I, by our tax dollars, by our alleged 81 million votes, right? So, so that's that's the infuriating part about this, and 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 where it even gets even deeper and darker and more murky waters is the 10 percent to the big guy, right? Maybe maybe it's uh, maybe Hunter Biden should be in jail, right? Maybe maybe it's hard to to define how Joe Biden played a part in this, but if that 10 percent to the big guy. If all of the influence who's of everybody, if you had to say there's a statistical likelihood of the connections that Hunter Biden has, who would the big guy be? Who do you think that would be? Would it be, you know, the guy that was in his contacts list as pedo Pete, his father, Joe Biden, the president of the United States? And God, it seems like such a dystopian, weird thing that Joe Biden is actually the president in, in this simulation theory, right? I've said this several times, you know, it, this simulation must just be a comedy because the fact that we have Joe Biden as the president and we have this like sleeping old man cabinet of, of politicians running our entire country and this interwoven fabric of oligarchy and, and uh, elitist families who peddle the 
the the money like have all of the the corporate and and personal power in the world to drive change for everybody involved right and then meanwhile we have a man who can't even stay awake while he talks to other presidents from other countries when it was like who was it the president of israel who he was speaking with where he couldn't even finish a whole sentence like it's it's so crazy to me that we've gotten to this point in reality and it just is proof of the simulation theory to me <laughs> Biden's not the only son of a famous government official who's right. done this right at all but i just wonder like when you hear people say well it's kind of an open question right about why they hired hunter biden like that's pretty disingenuous no right i think at the end of it so when you look at the whole, there, there are people that maybe were, you know, sons or relatives or brother-in-laws of other high-ranking officials. But I think what we ran into and with what Hunter ran into was like almost like an Icarus issue. So he got a little, it was too close to the sun. It was too right. good to be true. And the connections were, were too close and the scrutiny too much. Yes. And it ended up destroying, you know, he, it left a wake of a lot of, you know, a lot of destruction and business over a number of years. You know? So how many... It's been reported, and you have said that there were occasions when Joe Biden would call in with clients present on a speakerphone. Right. How how many times do you think that happened? I mean, over a ten year partnership, I would you know the number I'm going with is twenty. That's probably the 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 amount that I so a lot. kind of record. Yeah, a lot. You could say. So Joe Biden, who's very much a product of Washington, of course, must have known that he was calling in to effectively a business meeting that his son was having. I mean, he must have understood that, that that was kind of what his son was selling. Well, that's, I mean, it's hard for me to speculate on that. <laughs> but like, I guess my question, just to keep it to the facts, <laughs> Tucker Joe Biden, then the sitting vice president, knew it that just, there were Hunter's business associates it in, in your the room. Face. Yeah, I think I can, I can definitively say at particular dinners or meetings, he knew there were business associates and he, you know, we, or if I was there, I was a business associate too. So I think... Or if you know any of the other colleagues from the DC office or the New York office were there, so yeah, at times there were. From the you know to be you know completely clear on the calls, I don't know if it was an orchestrated call in or not. It certainly was powerful though, because you know if you're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the vice president's voice, that's prize enough. I mean that's 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 pretty impactful stuff for anyone. It's in the a, it's been reported, and I, I know that it is true that the. Hunter and his brother were very close to their dad. Absolutely. Which I th They were also very close to Bo's, his other son's wife, <laughs> if you recall, that, you know, Hunter Biden actually took on his brother's ex-widowed wife after Bo died, turned her into his girlfriend and sexual partner, Entering the very same vicinity of, of flesh that his brother did. Pretty disgusting stuff happening in this family. I think it's great. Yep. I've got a lot of kids. I'm very close to them. Talk to them every day. Yeah. Never called them on speaker during a business meeting. That's weird. Yep. You've got a lot of kids. You're close to them. Do you call them on speaker during business meetings? Do I call? <laughs> I mean, yeah. what is that? A grown man calling his dad on a speakerphone For sure. during a business right. meeting. Right, and to be clear, sometimes it was the call was coming in and the speaker would go on. Yeah, so yeah, it was. Yeah, it's okay. just the presence. You have to be, I mean, you're, you, you understand DC, right? So the power to have that access and that conversation, and it's not in a scheduled conference call and it's a part of your family, that's, 
that's like the pinnacle of of power in DC. So he was selling power, right? There you go. If you want to go watch it, Tucker on Twitter is obviously on Twitter and you can see the entire interview there. All right. Moving on, there was, and I want to make sure this is the exact video that I was looking at. And yeah, it is. This is an absolutely infuriating, infuriating. So let me give you my synopsis of this first. There was some young men who were sitting out there preaching the Lord's word, reading from a Bible, nonetheless, from a public sidewalk in the United States of America during a drag show, speaking the, the, the words of the Bible. And they came up and arrested one of these guys while he was speaking from the Bible. We saw this in Canada, right, in the dystopian socialist world that is Canada, Justin Trudeau's socialist communist stomping grounds. But now... It's happening in the United States, right? This video, if this doesn't infuriate you, I don't know what will. This is against everything that we stand for in the United States of America. Here we go. Here you go. I'll walk you through what we're looking at here. So there's some police officers. See him speaking from the Bible. And he's trying to rip out the microphone from his hand. Right? And these guys are probably 22 or so, absolutely doing the right thing. 22 years old, sitting out there on a sidewalk with a big speaker, speaking out against this like drag, some type of parade or something that's going on while they're on a public sidewalk. There's absolutely, you're right. You have the freedom of speech. You can say whatever you want in the public forum. You can protest. You can do whatever you want as long as you're not saying fire or calling for violence, right? And he's sitting there ripping a microphone from his hand. These police officers should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. They should be removed from their positions of power. Their, their family and friends should dis be disgusted by them. He's ripping stuff out of their hands. This one police officer is. This is the, well, how come there's no amplification? So here we go. Let me start this over for you. You'll be consumed by one another. So here he is talking about it. Hey, what are you doing? Grabs the microphone out of his hand. What is the problem? What's wrong? What are you doing? I just said that in my hand. You didn't give him any warning. You just grabbed the mic. This is the same one that we had. Yeah, that was in there. It was not out here. What is they said we can have we can, they said we can speak out here on the sidewalk freely. You can speak, but there's no amplified Nobody told us that. There's no amplified devices. Is that is that in the Constitution? How come there's no amplification? Hey, you guys and he starts like pushing thugs, him. Man. They're grabbing they're like, his arm from behind. Three police officers grabbing this young man. He has right to be out here engaging in speech. He has every right to be out here engaging in speech. 
There's cars driving by with their radios playing. That's amplified sound. People are standing out here with radios. That's amplified sound. The ordinance has to do with a decibel gauge. You don't just get to pick and choose which amplification you like and which you don't. That's selective enforcement of the law. That's discrimination on the basis of speech. That's what you all just did. Content-based discrimination based on speech. And they detained this young man in handcuffs for speaking words from the Bible on a public sidewalk. This is unbelievable in the United States of America where we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And meanwhile, this coward of a police officer takes it into his own hands to stop this, this atrocious act of saying the Lord's word on a public forum. Right? And then they use the bullshit tactic of saying that it's because of the amplification. Like, oh, oh, is it? Is it? And it has nothing to do with you wanting to tuck your dick between your legs and pretend to be a woman with your, what is it called? Whatever that fetish is of dressing up as a woman that these drag guys do. You know, I'm sure this police officer just loved being on the side of the street where he gets to look at all these men tucking their dick between their legs and then go and arrest some young, nice man for reading from the Bible. That, that is one of the most infuriating things that I've seen in a very long time. So it says a Christian protesting a pride event over the weekend in Watertown, Wisconsin, was handcuffed and detained by police in a video that went viral. Several members of the Christian group Warriors for Christ were evangelizing at the city's annual Pride in the Park on Saturday, an event organizers advertised as family-friendly. In the video, Marcus Schroeder is reading from the Bible into a microphone when officers surround him and grab his microphone and speaker. As his group questions the officers, they handcuff Schroeder and explain that he was being arrested for violating a sound ordinance about noise amplification. Jason Storms, a fellow member of the evangelical ministry who filmed the encounter and shared it on Twitter, told the Republic Sentinel that police had also arrested three other young people from the group who were praying and talking to attendees on orders from city leaders. The police, per orders from city leaders, arrived or arrested several young people. Three were arrested earlier in the day while inside the park praying and talking to attendees and then released with warnings. Yeah, because you had no fundamental legal basis for detaining them, you coward. Storms alleged the officers were violating the right to free speech correctly. As Schroeder was preaching on a sidewalk across from the public event, he told the outlet that the young man was charged with unlawful use of sound amplification and resisting arrest. Or was resisting arrest. Yeah, okay. However, the Christian youth who were arrested said they didn't regret their actions. Of course, and you shouldn't. It was worth it. It's actually an honor to be counted worthy to stand with the cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and been arrested for the sake of spreading Christ in his kingdom. If the police wanted to try and set an example for others or anything like that, the only thing I've seen is actually the exact opposite, where more and more people are seeing the severity of what's going on and being called to more action. Good. Absolutely good. All right. So here comes the most disgusting part of this episode, which has to do with Lizzo. But first, I need you to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review, and head over to the Substack. You'll get everything that we were talking about here. I'll include the YouTube video, some of the breakdown of clips, the articles that we're discussing here, all of that on the Substack, austinadams.substack.com. Go check it out right now. All right. 
Lizzo was sued by former dancers for sexual harassment and creating a hostile work environment. So it says, while on tour with the singer, three women alleged that they were pressured at a strip club and weight shamed. So when you have the single fattest, most obese artist in the history of popularity in the United States of America and probably the world next to maybe Jubba the Hutt. She's now fat shaming her own dancers. I, I, I don't know yet without reading this article whether or not it was they weren't fat enough or they weren't skinny enough, but uh, I guess we'll find out. So it says that Lizzo has been sued by three former dancers for sexual harassment and creating a hostile work environment, NBC News reports. The lawsuit, viewed by Pitchfork, was filed Tuesday or today in Los Angeles Superior Court and also named Lizzo's big girl, big touring production company and dance captain Charlene Quigley. The dancers are suing for damages over emotional distress, distress, including unpaid wages, loss of earnings, and attorney fees. A pitchfork has reached out to Lizzo's representatives and Quigley for comment. The three dancers behind the lawsuit all began working with Lizzo in 2021. Ariana Davis and Crystal Williams were hired around the Amazon reality series Watch Out for the Big Girls. A third, Noel Rodriguez, was hired after appearing in the 2021 Rumors video. The lawsuit also described an incident that took place at a post-show after-party in Amsterdam earlier this year where Lizzo allegedly pressured Davis to touch the breasts of a nude performer with goading chants. The lawsuit also claimed Lizzo's encouraged dancers to catch dildos launched from the performer's vaginas and eat bananas protruding from the performer's vaginas. So that's where the secondary article comes in, which says Lizzo forced fat dancers to eat bananas from hookers' vaginas. Bombshell lawsuit alleges. Hmm. <laughs> I like to eat, eat, eat bananas from vaginas. Maybe you know that song if you're a parent. And if you don't, it's probably just a little weird. But I happen to be a parent. <laughs> I like to out, out, out bananas from prostitute vaginas. Three former dancers from Lizzo's are suing the rotund rapper for alleged fat shaming them and forcing them to endure sexually depraved behaviors and participate in disturbing sex acts. Plaintiffs Ariana Davis, Crystal Williams, and Noel Rodriguez claim the 44-page lawsuit that Lizzo and her team... We're responsible for a hostile work environment, sexual harassment, assault, racial and religious harassment, disability discrimination, intentional interference with prospective economic advantage, and false imprisonment? What? Lizzo herself pressured plaintiffs and all her employees to attend outings where nudity and sexuality were a focal point and disregarded any apprehensions from plaintiffs, the suit reads. This work environment would shock the conscience of anybody as it did for the plaintiffs. In one disturbing account, the plaintiffs alleged that while at Lizzo's The Special Tour in Amsterdam in February 2023, the purported performer invited them out for a night on the town, which ended with them visiting the infamous red light district known for sex shops and clubs and sex theaters featuring full nudity. At that point, things quickly got out of hand, the lawsuit states. Lizzo began inviting cast members to take turns touching the new performers, catching dildos launched from their vaginas, and eating bananas protruding from the performers' vaginas, the lawsuit states, adding that Lizzo allegedly pressured and goaded Davis into touching one of the new performers' breasts. The plaintiffs claimed that a month later, Lizzo, 35, deceived them once again. Oh no, you deceived me after all of that? <laughs> they, they, they had no expectation that they would ever be deceived again. 
<laughs> deceived them into attending a nude show, therefore robbing them from the choice not to participate. Davis also claimed in the lawsuit that at one point she had no choice but to soil herself on stage during an excruciating re-audition, fearing the repercussions of excusing herself to go to the bathroom? What? Excuse me, if I have to shit myself for any employer, I'm out. Whether you're Lizzo, Elvis, the Lord himself, if that's your requirements for occupation, then sorry, I'm not your guy. Not your guy. I, I enjoy bathrooms. And honestly, I enjoy bidets. Japanese bidets from the depths of, you know, Kyoko, Japan. Maybe that's a little bit more my style than, you know, soiling myself on stage at a Lizzo concert. Davis also alleged that Lizzo was recently had a meltdown over disparaging comments about her excessive weight on Twitter, fat shamed her in a meeting while asking Davis why she seemed less committed and less bubbly and vivacious. In professional dance, a dancer's weight gain is often seen as the dancer getting lazy or worse off as a performer, the suit reads. Lizzo and the choreographs, choreographers questions, choreographers' questions about Mrs. Davis' commitment to the tour were then thinly veiled concerns about Mrs. Davis' weight gain. The plaintiff's attorneys, Ron, like, what did you expect? You hired a bunch of fat girls to dance behind you because you're fat. You wanted to make yourself feel better, and now all of a sudden they're getting fatter. Like, what do you think got them there? You thought they were just at a point and they were done? Like, oh, this is it. This is all I'm eating. This is exactly the weight I'm going to maintain. Like, pro probably not. In a professional dance, a dancer's weight gain is often seen as the dancer getting lazy or worse off as a performer. The plaintiff's attorneys, Ron Zambro, called out Lizzo's hypocrisy in a blistering statement, which said, The stunning nature of how Lizzo and her management team treated their performers seems to go against everything Lizzo stands for publicly. While privately, she weight shames her dancers and demeans them in ways that are not only illegal, but absolutely demoralizing. Davis and Williams are among the 13 contestants of the Emmy winning Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, which debuted on Amazon last year. I will include the entire, because I know you really want to read it, the entire lawsuit on my Substack, which I'm looking at right now. I will download this and have this for you because I know, just know you want to read it. And I would read it for you. But I don't know if that's the best use of our time here. <laughs> so I will include that on the Substack. All right, next up, Justin Trudeau and his wife, Sophie Trudeau, are getting divorced after 18 years of marriage. All right, and so I, I couldn't imagine anybody actually wanting to be engaged or, or married to that man, so it, it's not a surprise to me, but 18 years of marriage is a pretty long time to event, you know, just suddenly get into a divorce. So this article comes from Reuters, and it says that Justin and Sophie Trudeau separate after 18 years of marriage. It goes on to say, August 2nd today, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his wife Sophie said on Wednesday that they were separating in an unexpected announcement that appeared to mark the end of the couple's 18-year high-profile marriage. The couple had talked frankly in the past about difficulties in their relationship, and in recent years were even seen less often together in public. There was actually some sort of allegations against Justin Trudeau with underage girls, I believe. They had talked frankly, allegedly, they've talked frankly in the past about difficulties in the relationship and in recent years we've seen less often together. Trudeau, 51, it looks pretty good for 51. That's about the only positive quality this man has, but he looks pretty good for 51. And Sophie Gregor Trudeau, I wonder if he's had a lot of the, uh, you know, Hollywood 
wine, as one would say. We're married in May of 2005 and have three children together, age 15, 14, and nine. Wow, that's super unfortunate if you get divorced at that time. Like that's such a crucial, critical time for your children. And to have a, so he had a child when he was 42. That's kind of late. On their anniversary in 2020, he described her as my rock, my partner, and my best friend. Yeah, sounds like it. For Trudeau, there was also a painful historical parallels. His father, former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, separated from his wife, Margaret, in 1977, which we're just about to get into here in a second. The development is also one of the biggest personal crises of Trudeau since he became Prime Minister in 2015, especially since he often stresses the importance of family life. The couple made the announcement a week after Trudeau unveiled a massive cabinet shuffle in a bid to boost the fortunes of his Liberal Party, which is trailing in the polls. <clears throat> Aid said, Aids said that he also determined to lead the Liberal into the next election, Liberals into the next elections, which must be held by October 2025. Sophie and I would like to share the fact that after many meaningful and difficult conversations, we have made the decision to separate. The Canadian Broadcasting Corp said Public Safety Minister Dominic LeBlanc one of Trudeau's closest allies would brief members of the cabinet later on Wednesday. So here's where it gets fun. Justin Trudeau, a lot of people seem to think that while being born in Ottawa, which is a considerable distance from Havana, that his mother, Margaret Trudeau, visited Cuba nine months exactly before Justin was born. And there are photos of her mingling with Fidel Castro. On the right of this photo is Pierre Trudeau, his father, allegedly his father, and his wife with Castro, which I don't know about you, but if anybody touched my wife like this while I was standing in the room with them, we would be having a problem. And I'm not somebody who's like, you know, super possessive, but this looks like a little bit more like if anybody's fucking in these in this picture, it looks like the two people on the left. Like the dictator with a cigar in his mouth and the younger woman there, not the businessman 10 feet away from them. <laughs> so there's this whole narrative. Now, if you go actually look at some of these pictures that I'm about to show you, or you go look them up yourself, you'll see that there is a substantial amount of evidence physically and historically around the idea that Justin Trudeau is actually the son of Fidel Castro lots of it. And many, many people have thought of this. So there's actually a video that will come up here that talks about Joe Rogan. So let me give you the name of the account this is coming from, D-O-M underscore L-U-C-R-E on Twitter. And he does some really good stuff, big following, does some great deep dives into different topics. But this is the account that I will be following as I walk you through this discussion. And he says, according to Canadian and to Canadian The Globe and Mail, Pierre Trudeau and his wife, Margaret, cross paths with Fidel Castro for the first time in 1970, The Globe reports. An enduring friendship between the arch-liberal arch Pierre Trudeau and the Marxist revolutionary Fidel Castro was formed. Now, the article that is being put here in front of us says, Castro and Trudeau, a famous but also fraught friendship. And this comes from 2016. And it says, Robert Wright teaches history as the, the writer it says, just days ago, when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made his official visit to Havana, the rumor mill was abuzz with the aspersion that Fidel Castro was somehow snubbed, had somehow snubbed him by refusing a private meeting. Now, with Fidel Castro's death, we may surmise that the official Cuban line was true, that his health was so precarious as to preclude even a short, whatever this word is, 
Tete Dutati, I don't know what the hell that is. Certainly, Mr. Joe himself gave no indication that he had been affronted. Yeah, maybe he wanted to see his dad before he died. <laughs> As his fact checkers love refuting the allegations that the Trudeaus were in Havana nine months just before Justin was born, there are certain truths that they just refuse to confront. During the same period, the Trudeaus went on a Caribbean vacation on April 12, 1971 to an unidentified island. And this is a snippet of a newspaper article, which says Barbados Prime Minister Trudeau and his wife, or it says in Bridgetown, Barbados, Prime Minister Trudeau and his wife left here Monday by chartered plane on a quick side trip to an unidentified nearby island. They arrived here Thursday on a brief second honeymoon and have reportedly been staying at a private residence on the island's posh west coast. Heavy security measures have been in effect since their arrival, and the local press was asked to respect the newlyweds' desire for privacy. There were also stories on trips to numerous Caribbean islands. While Cuba was not on the official itinerary, it seems unfathomable that they would tour adjacent islands and choose not to visit their close buddy Castro in Havana while in the area. He spoke also at Trudeau's funeral. Interesting. And there's an article that came from a website that shows the actual discussion that Fidel had to Pierre Trudeau, which says, Fidel bids farewell to Pierre Trudeau, the 3rd of October, 2000, Cuban President Fidel Castro arrived in Montreal to attend the state funeral of former Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Fidel was asked by the family to serve as an honorary pallbearer. Wow. Alongside U.S. former President Jimmy Carter, Fidel arrived at the church, was greeted by shouts of Viva Fidel and Viva Cuba. I had come from Cuba at this time, he said, of profound sadness of the Canadian people to pay my respects to the unforgettable memory of Pierre Trudeau, a world-class statesman for whom I had personal bonds with, his wife, maybe, a friendship born of feelings of sincere admiration. I always considered him to be a serious political leader and with real concerns for the problems of the world and the third world, a rational politician who made a trans transcendent contribution to modern Canadian history, a righteous and courageous man who encouraged in difficult circumstances relations between his country and Cuba. It goes on and on and on. After Cuba, a Cuban communist dictator Fidel Castro's death was reported, Trudeau stated he was mourning his death and among other positive statements called Castro a remarkable leader. Outrage erupted and many mocked him with Trudeau, hashtag Trudeau eulogies on Twitter. And here is the video. It's been 14 years since the Cuban Missile Crisis, but with the present situation in Angola, Prime Minister Trudeau's visit to Cuba this week was regarded as a bit dicey politically. His entourage thought the trip came off very well. They were very impressed by a certain quality of Premier Castro's, and it's a familiar word, charisma. Sixteen years ago, Pierre Trudeau tried to paddle a canoe from Miami to Havana, but he was turned back by American authorities. This time he made it and was royally welcomed. Hours before his arrival, Cubans by the tens of thousands lined the streets. Such enthusiasm was sustained for the three-day visit and was clearly orchestrated by Premier Castro himself. It was his way of expressing gratitude to Canada for continued trade throughout the blockade. With relations between Cuba and the United States going sour again because of Angola, 
Premier Castro was eager to strengthen the Canadian-Cuban connection. At a rally in the south coastal city of Cienfuegos, not even a five-hour wait under a blazing sun could diminish the enthusiasm of 25,000 sugarcane workers who chanted, long live friendship between Cuba and Canada. The charismatic presence of Dr. Castro is always a drawing card for Cubans, but adding a fluently Spanish-speaking leader like Trudeau made it an event few wanted to miss. Brotherhood and independence were the impressions both leaders wanted to convey to the world. Informal talks at an island hideaway intensified their respect for each other and their mutual enjoyment of skin diving added to the rapport. The controversial skin diving issue of Angola his wife. was debated Did and Premier <laughs> Castro defended his position at a Canadian reception. He pointed out that much of his country's population is of African extraction. And so a call for solidarity from Angolans to help defend their country against South African invaders justified his support. We cannot do anything than to help the Angolan people. All right, so there you go. Just some legitimacy to what we're discussing here. It says, on January 1st of 1971, Margaret Trudeau described Fidel Castro as the sexiest man she's ever met and claims that Prince Charles leered down the front of her dress in her autobiography, Beyond Reason. Margaret was famed in the 1970s for her risque before marrying Trudeau. And here it says, prime ministerial mothers usually dwell as the far fringes of the spotlight. Stephen Harper's mother, who this is just reading an excerpt from her autobiography. It says, I use my mother as an obvious example because she is the person closest to me, worried about the stock market these days, Harper said at the time. Margaret Trudeau, by contrast, is one of the most tell-all figures in Canadian political history. She once called Cuban dictator Fidel Castro the sexiest man I've ever met. She dubbed 24 Sussex the crown jewel of the federal or fidental or federal penitential system penitential penitential i don't know what the fuck that word is system she proclaimed that she loved marijuana and took to it like a duck to water known as the poster girl uh for the flower child movement in the early 1970s she embraced the sexual revolution and scorned traditional marriage vows as archaic destroying an artwork that hung on Pierre's wall because it celebrated reason over passion. She had many famed affairs. And now it gives four, five, six different news articles, one being the first lady who got turned on by the Stones, a Stones romance, right? It's like kind of just outlines her sexual endeavors a little bit. It also shows this video here, which we'll watch a minute of. It's a little bit too long, but again, you can see this on the Twitter account. But here we go how much the liberal elite demand we stop talking about it. Is the mask-wearing, sock-loving, all-singing, all-dancing Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau actually the son of Fidel Castro? While Justin Trudeau is famously known as the son of Canada's former Liberal Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, 
Comparison images of Pierre, Justin, and Fidel Castro suggest that there might be more to Wild. the story. Wild. How much According they look alike. According to Joe Rogan, the resemblance shared by Castro <laughs> and Trudeau is completely wild, and the Canadian Prime Minister should do a 23andMe genetic test, ASAP. Rogan is not wrong. The resemblance is They uncanny, look so much alike, it's unbelievable. much deeper than he realizes. But first, let's take a quick look at the clip. Look at the two of them together. No, there's some that are like... There's, um, there's like multiple oh, right photos. down there, right down there. See that six pictures right there? There it is. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> that is fucking wild. So crazy. When you look at those, so look at all of them, the top. Oh my God, look at the top one. Bro, that <laughs> is wild. He looks but then you so much like Fidel Castro. And then you look at his dad and looks and nothing look like the man. Like at all. Dad. Thank that you. That is wild. Hey, bro, you need a 23 this. and me right away, <laughs> sir. We need a, you know, it's wild how close he looks. If, it, if it's not his dad, boy, if I was the father, I'd be fucking suspicious. Strong physical resemblance <laughs> aside, the Cuban rumors are also bolstered by historical facts. While Justin Trudeau's birthplace of Ottawa is a long way from Havana, his mother, Margaret Trudeau, visited Cuba nine months before Justin was born. And there are photographs of her socializing with Fidel Castro. That's old Pierre Trudeau on the right, pretending not to have a problem with his young and attractive wife hanging off the arm of Cuba's swashbuckling yeah. dictator. Don't forget, Castro was a hero figure for the international left in the 1970s. Canadian newspaper The Globe and Mail confirms that Pierre and Margaret Trudeau became close friends with Fidel Castro. Pierre Trudeau's and Fidel Castro's paths crossed for the first time in 1970. I wonder if that's where infidelity came from. Fidel. Fidelity. Infidel. Okay, anyway. Globe reports before explaining the Trudeaus had such a great time on the Caribbean island that an enduring friendship was forged between the arch-liberal Pierre Trudeau and the Marxist revolutionary Fidel Castro. And while fact-checkers enjoy debunking claims the Trudeaus were in Havana nine months before Justin was born, there are some inconvenient facts the fact-checkers refuse to address. The Trudeaus embarked on a Caribbean holiday in that time frame, with reports of visits to various islands in the Caribbean. While Cuba does not appear on an official itinerary, it's inconceivable that they would visit neighboring islands and choose not to visit their good friend in Havana while they were in the neighborhood. So what really happened in Havana in- So Dom Luque literally just took this video and broke it down into different subsection paragraphs and posted it. So, you know, I don't feel that bad about talking through his Twitter account now because all he did was take it from 1970, us. 1970, nine months before Justin Trudeau was born back home in Ottawa. Tucker Carlson introduced his viewers to the conspiracy earlier this year, declaring that Trudeau is for sure the love child of former Cuban president Fidel Castro, while educating his viewers about the long and sexually charged friendship the Cuban dictator enjoyed with Trudeau's mother, Margaret Trudeau. Cutting to a CBS News segment from 2017, the audience was treated to an analysis of the sexual tension between Margaret Trudeau and Fidel Castro, with Margaret quoted as describing Fidel as the sexiest man she'd ever met before admitting she spent the whole trip to Cuba flirting with the communist despot. Bear in mind, this trip to Cuba took place one year before Justin, who does not resemble his father Pierre at all, was born. <laughs> okay, here it is. People have talked for quite some time now that Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada to our north, is actually the son of a famous dictator, and frankly it appears to be true. Is that famous yeah. dictator? A, Colonel Muammar Gaddafi of Libya, <laughs> B, Fidel Castro of Cuba, 
or C, Chairman Mao of China? Lawrence Jones. Let's go with A. What? A. Hey, by the way, I think that's a better guess. I'm not sure it's correct, but we'll find out. Roll tape. That's Margaret Trudeau, and I can't figure out if she's smiling more than child. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think Fidel. that the, the, the chemistry between both Trudeaus yeah. with Fidel uh. was very, very good. And in the first book, which I remember reading, she said that uh, Fidel was the sexiest man she'd ever met, and she spent the whole time flirting with him. A thought she absolutely no, repeated when asked. Castro. Oh, what a charmer. And you know why he's in power. Ugh. Did Margaret Trudeau <clears throat> bear the love child of Fidel Castro, and does he now run Canada? And of course, the answer is for sure. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> While there is no official record, <laughs> the there is, is a record of Margaret sure. after the birth of her son, Justin, where she was greeted on the tarmac by Fidel. Uh. Family reunion? Margaret Trudeau is no stranger when it comes to sex scandals with powerful and high-profile men. Before shocking Canada by marrying the sitting Prime Minister, Margaret was famous in the 1970s for risque behaviour. Known as a poster girl for the flower child movement in the early 1970s, she embraced the sexual revolution and scorned traditional marriage vows as archaic, destroying an artwork that hung on Pierre's wall because it celebrated reason over passion. A self-confessed drug addict, Margaret smuggled Class A drugs in her husband's luggage while traveling, taking advantage of a diplomatic immunity and made scantily clad appearances at Studio 54. Her nude photographs are still widely published on the internet. Describing a 1974 affair with Ted Kennedy, Margaret Trudeau wrote in a memoir about the moment she met the US Senator at a state dinner in New York. That evening, I felt such a pull towards him that we couldn't even stand within a couple of meters from one another. Pierre was not amused. Was Pierre having flashbacks to what happened in Havana a few years before? Margaret then moved on to the Rolling Stones guitarist Ronnie Wood, before moving on to Mick Jagger, eloping to New York with the Stones frontman in 1977. The scandal signaled Ooh. the end of her tumultuous marriage to Pierre Trudeau. The liberal politician fought her in the courts, won sole custody of the children and refused to pay any spousal support. Justin Trudeau's parentage Ooh. has not been seriously questioned by the mainstream media in Canada. However, startling new information that has come to light in Cuba may change that. A handwritten suicide note left by Fidel Castro's oldest son appears to confirm the long-standing rumor in Cuba that Fidel Castro is Justin Trudeau's father. The death of the high-profile government nuclear scientist, also known as Fidelito or Little Fidel because of how much he looked like his father, stunned the nation. However, it's his explosive suicide note that has set tongues wagging in Havana. Amid a wide-ranging barrage of complaints, the note suggests Fidelito was angry with his late father, the revolutionary Cuban dictator. Fidelito wrote that his father, Fidel Castro, was always comparing me unfavorably with Justin and dismissing my <laughs> achievements in comparison to his success in Canada. But what was Ooh. I to do? I am Cuban. My brother is Canadian. <gasps> if he was born and raised in Cuba, he would have lived in our father's shadow forever, just like me. Damning what? evidence is true. He's Fidel Castro's son called Justin Trudeau his brother in a suicide note? Why is nobody talking about this? How has this not been a discussion? <laughs> However, due to the uh, fact that the mainstream media suppresses everything that threatens the liberal power elite, the reported suicide note remains unverified. However, further mm, shocking reports from within the Trudeau clan have been emerging. Earlier this year, News Punch broke the news that Trudeau's half-brother, Karl Kemper, admitted that Justin is a pawn of the global elite in service of the New World Order. 
According well, to- we knew that. All right, folks, that's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for sticking around. Like I always say, the longer you stay around, the deeper and more fun it gets. So there it is, the Justin Trudeau conspiracy around whether or not he is the love child of Fidel Castro and his wild mother. And I never heard that about the suicide note. So that's news to me. That's crazy. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Head over to the Substack, austinadams.substack.com. Get signed up. It's free. Podcast companion, articles, all of the clips, everything will be right on there for you. Full video podcast, all of it. So thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, leave a five-star review, and have a wonderful day. Thank you.